Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for all your blessings. We want to thank you for your goodness to us, for answering prayers, for providing, Lord, for just uh, working in our lives in ways that we can see. We thank you for healing and, Lord, just bringing people to church and, Lord, all the things that you do. We thank and praise you for all you do. We praise you for your forgiveness, for your patience with us. And Lord, we thank you most of all that you love us. In your name we pray. Amen. Brother Franke, kids. And, uh, there we go. And the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and uh, we're just going to spend a little bit of time Overviewing the life of David tonight. We're going to start in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 and verse 36. And this is part of one of Paul's sermons. And he is using David as an example. Of course, he was preaching to the Jewish people. He says, for David... After he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. Meaning that David died, he was buried, and he stayed buried. And he was using that as a uh, an, uh, contradiction or a comparison with the Lord Jesus Christ who died and was buried but didn't stay that way. But yet as... We take the first part of this verse here. It says, For David, after that, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep or died. And uh, David was is one of those special people in the Bible. In fact, uh, the Jewish people even today, you see the, the stars, they call it the Mogan David or the Star of David in the ends of the pews and still in, in our stained glass windows. And uh, it tells us that David served his own generation by the will of God. Now, if you're going to write someone's epitaph, if you were going to describe someone's life, that would be the way to describe it, would it not? Uh, that... He served his generation, how? By the will of God. And, of course, we know David and Goliath and David and uh, many other things. And we're just going to touch on a few points. And and, uh, possibly the next several uh, Sunday nights we may just spend on uh, a little closer examination to some of the things in the life of David. But I want us to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, and this is where we are introduced to David. And a lot of times we have this idea, especially with David and Goliath and all of this, that uh, that these things just kind of happened. I mean, David was just... Uh, uh, one day, ordinary Joe Shepherd, uh, the lowest guy on the totem pole in his family, and the next day he was anointed to be king, and the next day he killed Goliath, and and the God just endued him with all these incredible abilities, and that really wasn't the case. There was a long-term training period here in David's life. There was a lot of things going on that just 
took time. You wonder why David didn't become the king of all Israel right away. Well, God needed to grow David into that position. And growing is never really uh, that pleasant of an experience, now is it? I mean, Rachel just finished college, four years. It wasn't all fun and games, was it? Uh, There was a lot of tough parts and a lot of uh, difficulties getting through. And if you'll remember uh, your teenage years, uh, that growing time, I'll tell you, there were some things that had to happen there. And when you get saved, uh, it takes time to grow. And so David was chosen of God. David did some very great things. David's life is one of those exemplary lives in the Scripture, one that we often look to when we want to see great things. But I want you to understand that before we are introduced, there were things already happening in David's life. There was, there was a, his entire life was a life of preparation. And so let's just um, start here. In, in verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And so, uh, as uh, the Lord is giving Samuel direction, he understands this needs to be kept close. This needs to be kept quiet. Uh, Saul was a man of violent temper and violent extremes. In fact, later on, we're going to find out that part of David's life was running from Saul, who, who was David's own father-in-law. And so uh, Samuel came, and they called, and, and we get down to verse 6, And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. I want you to get something. This is one of those verses that people just love to elasticize. Well, God doesn't look at me the way people look at me. He he sees my heart. Well, let me tell you something. That's not what God was saying here. You see, Eliab looked... Good. He looked very good. He looked exactly like the man that should have been Saul's uh, successor. But I want you to understand something. David looked good too. If you're right on the inside, you're going to be right on the outside. You can't be. You, You can look good on the outside and be bad on the inside, but you can't be right on the inside and look bad on the outside. That is an American thing. 
we get that from John Wayne movies and from our soldiers and the westerns, you know, the guy with the cigarette hanging out of his mouth and five days growth and uh, really gross looking and yet he's a great whatever soldier, that kind of thing. That's not always the case. Some of our greatest soldiers in American history were clean, living, clean, spoken men. George Washington, for instance. Sergeant Alvin York, arguably the greatest hero in American military history. Uh, What was it? Killed 21 Germans, took 132 prisoners, knocked out six machine gun nests, all by himself. Well, if you heard his testimony, it was uh, the sword of the Lord and Gideon along with Sergeant York. He was actually, um, after the war, became a Baptist preacher. And uh, the uh, simple thing is we, we want to look good with the world and walk good with the Lord, and you can't. That's, this verse says, God looks on the heart. He wants the outside right. By the way, the outside is the only thing that man can judge. Man can't judge your heart because they can't see it. But man will, always has, always will judge the outside because that's what they can see. You know, if you were trying to get someone to do some work for you, uh, hire a contractor of some type. You're going to want someone that is orderly, someone that you can have confidence in, that you know is going to do the work and do it well. Amen? Uh, you're not going to hire somebody uh, to fix your car that goes, wow, I've never worked on one of these for real. I mean, you, you just don't want that to happen now, do you? And if you go to see a doctor, do you want his hair all messed up and sloppy and smells like he hadn't been uh, to the shower in two or three weeks? I mean, would you want that kind of doctor helping you? Uh, I know I'd want that kind of doctor helping himself first. Uh, I'll go find somebody that can take care of himself before I have him take care of me. How about you? And, and so we start with David here. I want you to understand that David was already obedient to the Lord. David was already walking with the Lord. It took a while. David was the least esteemed of all of his brethren. In fact, when Samuel called Jesse and his sons, they didn't even think to bring David in until David lined up all seven of his sons. No, not you, not you, not you. And and so you have the old prophet there, and imagine Samuel here as an ancient man and the white hair and the flowing robes and and, uh, the last judge of Israel. And Saul had already been king uh, probably uh, 25 to 30 years at this point. And most of that time, Samuel had spent mourning for Saul because God had rejected him being the king. But now David was old enough. And he's called all of Jesse's sons, and nobody really knows what's going on. It's kind of strange. And Samuel looks at him and said, don't you have another son? Well, yeah, we've got the youngest, but he's, he's taking care of the sheep. We didn't even 
says, we're not going to start the sacrifice until you call him. And look at the description it gives him uh, of David as we're introduced. Verse 12, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And I, I just love the picture painted here. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now, you have to remember a few things. This was to be kept quiet. So here you have David's big brothers in a circle facing out. And the only ones that are on the inside is Samuel and David. And Samuel reaches into that robe and pours a horn of oil out of there and breaks it with his fingers and pours it over David's head and says, God has anointed you to be the next king of Israel. I don't believe any of his brothers heard what Samuel said to David. Because if they had, their attitude would have been totally different when we get to chapter 17. Do you think his oldest brother would have said, what are you doing down here? Do you think you're going to uh, win the war if his brother knew that David was supposed to be the next king? No, he would have been promoting his little brother. Nobody knew this was a secret thing. You know, this is one of the reasons why I reject a lot of these conspiracies that are out there. Number one, too many people have to know what's going on to make it happen. And nobody told about it, so it, it, it doesn't hold up to truth. But the other thing is, nobody excepting for God working in their lives, is given a position of power and authority and keeps their mouth shut. I mean, when you go to work, if you have someone that gets promoted even to the next level, what's the first thing they do? They trumpet it all over the office. Now, don't they? Uh, you, you have... God is the only one that controls that in human nature. David had to keep his mouth shut. He never said a word. He's going to go finish growing up through his teenage years. He's going to be made the captain over the, the host of Israel. And then he's going to be demoted to uh, the lowest captain's position. And then he's going to turn fugitive, running from his father-in-law Saul for years until... Saul is killed in battle, and then finally David is going to be seven years in Hebron. Then he's going to be anointed king. That's an awful long time, my friend. And how many of you remember what happened after Absalom rebelled against David, and David finally went back into Jerusalem after the whole battle was over? He says, do I not know this day that I am anointed king over Israel? You see, people weren't passing around 1 Samuel so that they could read what was going on. These things were kept quiet. We get to see the whole picture. But the nation of Israel didn't know what was going on. They didn't know that 
Samuel had anointed David to be king until the history had been written. And they read it. And I, I would imagine by the time that that history was penned down, both David and Saul had uh, passed from this life into the next as those events were recorded. Excuse me. But yet, Paul, as he's preaching a sermon, says, David served his generation according to the will of God. And we notice here that as Samuel anointed him, the Spirit of the Lord came on Daniel, David, I'm sorry, from that day forward. Verse 14, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And people have a problem with that verse. But here's simply the best understanding I can give you. When you're obedient to God, He protects you. When you're disobedient to God, He's going to let the devil get at you. That's what happened to Saul. I believe that Saul was saved because even when he went to see the witch at Endor, it wasn't a demon impersonator or familiar spirit, the Bible says it was Samuel. And Samuel said, you and your sons are going to be with me. Now we understand he meant they were all going to be dead, but Samuel, let me tell you, was on the right side of eternity. And he didn't make a differentiation between Jonathan and uh, Saul's other sons, who uh, we don't know uh, much about his other sons, but we certainly know that Jonathan was on the right side of the things of the gospel. And so uh, we have no reason to believe that Saul missed out on heaven. But he sure missed out on everything else that God had for him because of his disobedience to the Lord. I'm just going to go ahead and... seems like that thing's making a lot of noise. Um, and so we have... The Spirit of the Lord departing from Saul, and Saul's servants said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Then answered one of his servants, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Now, do you get that description? You see, this spirit of the Lord departed from Saul when it came upon David. And we're not talking about a long period of time here. And they're looking for someone to play. And let me tell you something. Music is important. And it doesn't have to have words to be good or bad. You can have good or bad music. You can have good music with bad words. You can have bad music with good words. Do you really want either one? No. 
What you want is good music with good words. Amen? And we have to be careful with music. It's, it's a very difficult thing and, and uh, to, to discern sometimes, but we, we do our best here. That's one of the reasons we like the hymn book. You know what? You're pretty safe. But there's even some songs in the hymn book that I don't truly appreciate. And so we don't sing them. And uh, some of the songs, it's guilt by association. You know, the, the song One Day at a Time is not a terrible song, but every filthy country singer that's ever walked the face of the earth sung that song. And it just bothers me. That's why I don't like to sing it in church. Uh, and, and the words aren't that great either. There's just a lot of good, solid music out there that we can use. And the David already, here's the cunning playing, a mighty valiant man, a man of war, prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. What? What a description. And, and I want to challenge you that you don't become a cunning player in a week or a year. You know, someone once said, you know, the problem, I can't, it was someone from a foreign country who said, problem with you Americans, you think three chords and a capo makes a guitar player. And uh, if you know what I'm talking about with a guitar, uh, anybody can learn three basic chords and then you just run that little unit called a capo up and down the neck of the guitar and you can play in any key. Uh, That's that's not skill. Uh, It takes years. It takes a lifetime of devotion to really master a musical instrument. And so here we have David... Late teens, already a master of the harp. And my father-in-law likes to point out that the harp that David played on would have been a forerunner of our modern guitar. And there are people who say guitars are evil because they're rock and roll and all of this stuff. Well, hey, there's not an instrument out there that the world hasn't misused or abused, uh, the only thing that, uh, by God's grace, we will never have on a platform here is a drum set. Amen? Uh, I don't think you can use one of those for the Lord very well. Uh, the, uh, but there are some percussion instruments that are absolutely gorgeous. Timpani and, and all of that. You can tune them. They make a sound. They don't just make noise. And so, we have David here. We're chasing some rabbits. I'm sorry. But look at uh, verse 23. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Here's what I want you to get. David even though he was a young man, was already a man of war. He was already a valiant man. He had a presence. He had a good appearance. But there was something deeper. He was a cunning player on the harp. We don't know uh, how many psalms that David had already composed at this point or if he had composed any, but I'll tell you this. 
he was working with his music unto the Lord when nobody was listening. And he was prepared. He had spent his lifetime preparing. And yet, David knew that he was anointed to be the next king. And here King Saul is, troubled by an evil spirit, what we would say, sorely backslidden in every way, not fulfilling his responsibilities as a king, not fulfilling his responsibilities to God. Now, who in the kingdom would have been in a position to give Saul a lecture about his sorry life? Would not the one that God said would be the next king? I mean, wouldn't that be... Uh, wouldn't David have been in a position to give Saul a, a good uh, lecture on how a king ought to behave and carry himself? Did David do that? Absolutely not. He respected the king in spite of the fact the king didn't deserve any respect. He ministered to the king in spite of the fact that the king needed to be ministered to because of his own faults. And he didn't complain, and he didn't look down and despise the king. He stayed humble to the Lord. This is a pattern that made David the great man that God wanted him to be. You know how he got that way? You know what? There's not a lot of pride generated in the sheep enjoying your harp playing. Amen? There wasn't a lot of people to praise David. In fact, he had seven older brothers to push him down a little bit. You know, that's part of the problem of being the little brother. Is you always get pushed down just a little bit. And uh, older brothers need to be careful for younger brothers. Amen? And uh, we, we need to, to watch these things. And David did. We know, and we're going to skip over some of the real important stories because we know them so well and I don't want to take a lot of time, but we know what happened with David and Goliath. The king wouldn't fight the giant. Now, who should have fought the giant? Saul. He was the tallest man in the nation of Israel. He was still two and a half feet shorter than Goliath, but he was the tallest one they had. He was the king. He should have been out there. But he couldn't because he had stopped serving the Lord. That's why Saul couldn't fight Goliath. That's why David could fight Goliath. But David's heart was centered on the Lord instead of on Saul. Amen? And that's something for you and I to remember even in this day and time when our leadership is so poor compared to the Scripture's. Let's just keep doing right according to the Scriptures. Amen? And pray for them. And David had... We we spent time a while back on this. David had killed a lion and a bear while keeping the sheep. Why did he do such things? Was David out looking for exploits to be great? No. David was just trying to do his job. And that's what Goliath was all about. You see, David's job was to bring glory to the Lord. That meant being a good shepherd. 
protecting the sheep. That meant when no one else would fight and protect the nation of Israel, that David would fight and protect the nation of Israel. And David, as the leader of the armies of Israel and as later the king, had many opportunities to put himself into harm's way in his service for the Lord. And David was a leader, and God used him as a king to build the nation of Israel. You know, one of the greatest dangers that we face when God blesses us and gives us things is there's always the opportunity to serve ourselves a little bit. How many of you remember the story of Nabal? Does anybody remember that story? Nabal was one of the men that David and his uh, band of men had protected, and Nabal railed on them, and David said, I'm going to uh, deal with Nabal. He's returned me evil for good. And it was Nabal's wife that kept him from avenging himself at his own hand. And David passed that test. He had several opportunities to kill Saul. That would have made things easy for the next king, right? No. It would have made it ten times more difficult. You never get ahead by trying to fulfill God's will your way. You see, David served his generation by the will of God. That meant part of his service was serving and catering to Saul in spite of his backslidden state and his uh, sins against God. The only time that David served himself was with the issue of Bathsheba. And it brought great respite and, and reproach upon his family, brought God's judgment on his family. Uh, in First Kings chapter 15, it says, Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. That's David's testimony. Now, David had God's judgment in his life on several times. How many of you remember when David tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem? And Uzzah and the other guy put it on a cart. Where did they got the idea to take the Ark of God on a cart? Well, that's what the Philistines had done to return it to Israel. David did not know because he hadn't read the Bible. And when the oxen got to the threshing floor, they stumbled on the smooth threshing floor. And let, let me tell you something. You can say what you want, but the ark of God could not be allowed to tumble off the cart. That couldn't happen. It cost Uzzah his life. You know what David did? He looked to God, took instruction from God's Word, and then when they brought the ark of, into Jerusalem, they did it God's way, and God blessed them. Amen? When Absalom rebelled against David, what did David do? 
he prayed to God all the way through. He knew what was happening. He knew that the, the reason that Absalom had been so successful because his own personal counsel, Ahithophel, had been counseling Absalom the whole way through the thing. And why was Ahithophel there? If you study your Bible, he was Bathsheba's grandfather. And he hated the king for what he'd done. And he was going to get even with him. Well, David looked to God even when he was being judged because of the wrong things. And God brought him through and reestablished him as the king of Israel. Because he kept his eyes on God and didn't get them on all the things around him. Even when David numbered Israel, the last sin that is recorded in David's life. And if you'll read that passage very carefully, it said God was provoked with the nation of Israel. And so he let David lead the nation against God so that God could bring judgment against the nation. You study that out. And yet... What did God do with all of those things? As the angel was over, the angel of the Lord was standing over Jerusalem with his sword drawn. 70,000 men had already died in the last three days uh, through God's judgment in the land of Israel. uh, David's personal prophet came to him and said, go to the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite, and offer a sacrifice. And they could see the angel with his sword drawn over the city of Jerusalem. You know what God was doing? He was marking the temple site. And David bought the threshing floor of Aruna, and he offered sacrifice there, and he saw the angel put the sword back into a sheath. And what David what did David said? Put your judgment on me. And God, God said, listen, I'm going to judge who I'm going to judge. But I'm also going to use this terrible thing so that you can know where the temple is supposed to be built. And you can procure the land. I mean, Aruna was left over from the early inhabitants of Jerusalem. And he had maintained the ownership of this special place, the most prime property today. In all the world, the Temple Mount. The Arabs think they own it. The Jews say that's our Temple Mount. I'll tell you what, one of these days, the Temple's going to be rebuilt. I don't know how that's going to happen. Lots of people have come up with ideas. There's this guy that says, according to the Bible, the Mosque of Omar is actually built in the wrong spot. It's not built over the temple spot that you could build the temple right next to the Mosque of Omar. Uh, I I don't know. I I just don't see that happening, do you? But I'll tell you one of the ways that I think that the Antichrist is going to bring peace to the Middle East is going to be by rebuilding the Jewish temple on the Temple Mount. Now, how he's going to do that, I don't know. But the Bible says it's going to happen. You think of someone who can pacify Islam enough to have the temple rebuilt in Jerusalem. He will bring peace to the Middle East. 
And he'll fulfill the prophecies as well. I'll tell you what. All goes back to the life of David. He served his generation. How? By the will of God. And the challenge tonight simply as we look at this overview of David's entire life. David had his share of failures. David endured the judgment of God for things that he had done wrong. But David always kept his eyes on the Lord. And what I'd like for us to examine just in the next few minutes is what is God's will for your life? How does he want you to serve your generation according to the will of God? You see, the Lord has things for each of us to do. Praise God. Chances are you won't be facing Goliath. David already did that. Amen? Chances are you're not called to be the next king of Israel. That would be pretty hard for most of us as Gentiles to pull off anyway. Uh, We don't have to worry about those things. But let me tell you, serving God according to His will is the most important thing that you can accomplish with your life. And let's, let's pray that we can serve God individually and as a church according to His will for our lives. And all God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You. We look at the life of David. And Lord, I pray that we'll be encouraged by how that You used a man that was very much a man that was capable of failure. It's not a story that was made up. It's not a story of a history where the The bad parts were left out. But Lord, we ask that you would just make us faithful to you and to your word. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just take a moment. If you need to slip out of your seat and spend a few moments, the altar is open. And then we'll get into our prayer time.